God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. And we're surveying what the Word has to say about this world from beginning to end as we see it through history, science, and prophecy. I'm Wayne Shepherd, welcoming you back to Encounter God's Truth and this new series on basic biblical distinctions. Our teacher is author and theologian Dr. John Whitcomb. You can learn more about him at whitcombministries.org. In this series, we're looking at several issues involved in biblical history and apologetics, and Dr. Whitcomb will show us what those topics really mean for us and how they apply to our spiritual lives. Today, we're listening to the second half of a message called The Five Worlds of History, Science, and Prophecy. We left off last time thinking about the third world system, the present heavens and earth, in which God has worked through the nation of Israel and, since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the church which Dr. Whitcomb calls the greatest thing God has ever yet done. Let's go back to that message now and listen to learn more about the five worlds. And now we have a modification of the curse since the flood. Now don't take unfair advantage of that and go off in Florida and chase alligators. They get between a papa alligator and his food or mama gator and her baby. It could be a problem. But just think how different this third world is from the second one. Okay. Well, Lord, thank you for this third world in which you put us. With the modification of the curse and the marvelous new things you've revealed to us. To Noah, the inauguration of human government, Genesis 9. Through Abraham, the promise that you made to Israel. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. Watch Israel. God made an unconditional covenant for that nation. Okay? The, the law of Moses. The Ten Commandments. The amazing revelation of God's holiness, his standards, his righteousness, which is not intended to save us, but to what? Convict us of our need of a Savior. That's how Abraham was saved, wasn't it? Not by works. He believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. So God begins to explain to us how, how salvation works. And through the law of Moses for 1,400 years, animal sacrifices were for what purpose? To protect people from premature destruction as they approached the holiness of God in the tabernacle and temple. Yes, the blood of bulls and goats never took away sin, never did, never will but protected people. You remember when they came out of Egypt, God said, when I see the blood on the what? The doorpost and the mantle, I will what? Pass over you. I won't destroy you. That doesn't mean that they were born again, saved. It means they were protected. Because millions of Israelis offered sacrifices and didn't really believe in God. It was just a ritual. Especially when Jesus was here, you remember. The scribes, the Pharisees, they, they weren't real believers in God. They didn't understand what they were doing. Jesus had to con convict them of their sin. He said, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's why they crucified the Son of God, because he said they had to repent. Why should we repent? We're perfect, we're wonderful, we're... we're... No, no. Unless you recognize your sin... You can't be saved. So friends, in this third world now, the greatest thing God has ever yet done 
began 2,000 years ago when the church was created on the day of Pentecost. My, what an amazing event that was. Right in the middle of this system, the church age began. The body and bride of Christ. I mean, John the Baptist was the greatest man who was ever born, Jesus said, but anyone who's in the church, the body and bride of Christ is greater than John positionally in privileges. See, destiny. By the grace of God, the church was created on the day of Pentecost. Now, there was a transition period. Remember? 40 years in which the church and Israel both functioned together. A Jewish Christian could offer sacrifices in the temple. See? But a Gentile Christian didn't have to. And they both functioned together. And that created some frustration and confusion for a while. Yes, two different programs going on here. Jewish Christianity, Gentile Christianity. And that confusion ended when? AD 70, when the temple was smashed and has never functioned from that day to this. No Jew has offered a legitimate animal sacrifice from that day to this. So today, the Gentile form of Christianity totally dominates the church. Now, some Jewish Christians, you understand, prefer to have Messianic Judaism. I mean, have Christian synagogues and so forth. But that's really putting up a barrier, see, a middle road, a partition again between Jew and Gentile, which is not acceptable to God. And so we have to be very careful about that. There's only one kind of church in the world. And that's the kind, of course, that God describes so carefully, repeatedly, beautifully in the New Testament epistles of Peter and Paul and John and Jude and James and so forth and the book of Acts by Luke. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you for telling us what position we have by your mercy and grace. Now, you know, John the Baptist knew that he wasn't going to be part of the church. You knew that, didn't you? When his disciples started following Jesus, people said, now, aren't you jealous? Aren't you threatened by this? They're following Jesus, not you. And he said, well, I, I have an announcement to make, dear, dear disciples. Uh, I, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. See, I'm not part of the bride. You are. Because uh, he will increase, but I will what? Decrease. My function will phase out as the forerunner of the bridegroom and the Lord, the head of the church. And when my ministry is over, I'm done. Amazing insight God gave to him. Now, friends, what a privilege it is to belong to the body and bride of Christ. Now, we may not live 930 years like Adam, but we have what? A marvelous destiny. Are you ready to hear about this one? Some of us may never die at all. This is called the rapture of the church. That No promise to Israel ever said anything about that. That's a distinctive of the church age, of the body of Christ. And, and I just am amazed at the rapture. Can you, I mean, just think of this. The, the law for mankind from the beginning of the world is this, because of, the, of sin. It is appointed unto men once to what? Die. And after this, the judgment. But there's an exception. Some people have died twice. The ones that Elijah, Elisha and Jesus raised, you remember, like Lazarus, died twice. So exceptions. 
But here's the big exception. Some people will never die at all. Now, here's how it's going to happen. Are you ready, folks? Here's how the church age is going to end. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, that's Michael, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then what? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. That's without dying now. In the clouds, clouds of glory, and and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with those words. If the rapture of the church happened tonight, you must be born again to partake, participate, be involved, be included. Are you born again? Do you know the Lord? Are you sure you're saved? It would be very sad to be left behind. doesn't mean you'd never get saved. But in the great tribulation, which ends this age, this is the final transition period of seven years at the end of the church age. You understand what that is, don't you? Church being examined by Christ at the Bema. Israel being born again through the two witnesses, their witness. Okay, 144,000 evangelizing the Gentile world. The coming of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolations, the awful things that will happen. Jesus said it will be a... The worst world system this planet has ever known since the flood. Wow. And Christians will be glorified. Now, it's not going to be a partial rapture with only worthy Christians going up. Because if, if that's the way it is, then how many are going up? None. Every born again man, woman, and child on this planet is going up. And then will be immediately evaluated and examined by Christ to determine not whether you're saved or not, but whether you're going to receive a crown or a reward for faithfulness since you were saved. The Bible has much to say about that. And I say, Lord, I'm just amazed at the plan you have for your bride, your body, your church to prepare us for what? For the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven as we then return to the earth with him at his second coming in glory to face a whole world of opposition to Jesus. When Jesus comes down from heaven with his bride, this is Revelation 19, watch what happens. The Antichrist will be there. The false prophet will be there. Satan will be there. Armageddon in northern Israel, hundreds of thousands of soldiers saying, can you imagine what they're saying? Jesus, we killed you. You come back to this earth, we'll kill you again. Famous last words. One word from Jesus. That's all opposition collapses. Don't be on the opposite end of the wrath of Jesus. Do you know what happened when he was arrested in Gethsemane 2,000 years ago? There was a prelude of Armageddon. Now watch what happened. Judas Iscariot arrived with a little contingent of Roman soldiers to capture Jesus. Now, you remember what happened? They said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus, in total dignity, stood there and said, I am. And immediately, an invisible hand struck them all to the ground. If I was in that group, I would have said, I'm out of here. That is a very tiny preparation, premonition of what will happen at Armageddon. I am. 
Oh, Lord. You told us to pray for what's going to happen next. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then what? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. It'll be a perfect government, folks. Look, it'll last how long? 1,000 years. It's a preparation for the eternal state. A thousand years of what? Of perfect government, perfect education, perfect environment, perfect religion. Uh, nobody is sick. Nobody dies. I mean, it's going to be... How many are ready for a perfect government? Eleven. Thank you. Amazing. And Jesus will rule the whole world for a thousand years all by himself. That's Isaiah 33. He will be the king. He's the executive branch. He'll be the lawgiver. He's the Congress. Senate House himself. He's the what? He's the judge. He's the Supreme Court himself. You say, how can one human being rule the world for a thousand years? How? Well, he also happens to be God. Thank you. That helps. <laughs> He's the God man. Two natures in one person forever. He is totally qualified to rule the world. I say, Lord Jesus, please come. Come soon. Come tonight. Take your church. Take your bride. Take your body to heaven. Prepare the world for the second coming, the kingdom. A thousand years of perfect government on this planet. And I say, Lord, I just can't imagine a world quite like that. <clears throat> By the way, you know, the Apostle Paul never knew it would be a thousand years long. Neither did Peter. The only one who knew that of the twelve apostles was who? John. On the island of Patmos, who received this truth in Revelation 20, he was the last of the apostles, and he was told the kingdom that they all knew was coming. They knew a lot about what it would be like. He knew it would be a thousand years long. So we, that's why we're premillennialists, you see, if we take this seriously. Before the thousand years, millennium, millennium in Latin, thousand years. Before the thousand years, Christ will come. To establish the kingdom on the earth. We're not in the kingdom now. It's coming. It's not here yet. It's coming. So we're pre-millennialists now. And you say, well, I just can't imagine a world like that. Yes, there'll be no abortions, no sickness, no the, the population, I mean, the explosion will be absolutely astronomical. There'll be billions of people on this planet. You say, how can the planet support billions of people? Well, of course, you, you know, before the end of this year, there'll be seven billion on this earth. But many of their starving people, suffering people, yes, but that'll be a world in which it'll be a perfect provision physically, environmentally, educationally. Isaiah says even the animals will be perfect. Lions will eat straw like oxen and bears and leopards and everybody will be harmless and children will play with poisonous snakes. And it'll be, and you say, how can that happen? will be a restoration. Like Peter said in Acts 3, there will be a restoration, the Greek word apokatastasis, a restoration of all things spoken of by the prophets since the world began. It will be like it was in Genesis 1, with one sad exception. Every human on this earth will still have a sin nature. See? You say, I thought you said we'll be glorified. Yes, but we're going to rule over the world during that period. Not on the earth. Well, who's going to be on the earth ruling this world? 
during that kingdom. It'll be Israel. The Old Testament says it repeatedly. Romans 11, all Israel will be saved. They'll be grafted back into the branch, into the, into the tree of divine blessing, Romans 11. It'll be through Israel, Revelation tells us. The two witnesses reestablishing animal sacrifices on the temple to be powerful illustrations of the fact that you can't come to God without blood to protect you. But then they'll understand, as they don't understand today, that the death of Jesus, their Messiah, was the blood that takes away sin forever. Okay? It'll be a perfect religion. And I say, Lord, I just can't imagine a more wonderful program for a thousand years. But wait a minute. Every person who enters the millennium alive, and there won't be a lot of them, Jesus said, unless those days are shortened, this seven-year period, no flesh would survive. Billions are going to die during the tribulation. People who accept Jesus as their Messiah through the witnesses from Israel will mostly be murdered by the Antichrist, you see. Makes that clear over and over again. Awful, awful time. But the few survivors who enter the kingdom alive, according to Daniel 12, will still have a what? A sin nature. Now, they'll be born again or they can't get in the kingdom. See? But they have a sin nature, just like you and I have. So their children will have a sin nature. And their children, see? And they will have to make a choice as to whether they love Jesus or not. Did you know that? That in every dispensation, every age, every world system, past, present, and future, humans that have the image and likeness of God have to make a choice to love God or reject Him. And thousands of these children and grandchildren, millions and millions and billions of them will say no to Jesus. Oh, they'll show up every year to worship in Jerusalem or they'll die. That's Zechariah 14. But in their heart of hearts, they'll not love him at all. Why? You say, how do you know, sir? How do you know that? Well, for one thing, Jesus said so. He said this. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And what? Few there be that find it. In every generation of human history, few there be. The minority of people in each generation choose the Lord, love the Lord, are saved. So even in a perfect environment, by the way, the environment doesn't make you saved. We know that now, don't we? That's socialism. Just make people happy and wealthy and healthy and they'll be... No, no. It's a heart choice. Jeremiah 79, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God says, I'll give you everything you want. Look at this, Look at this kingdom. But one thing you have to do is to choose me, to love me. And by the end of the millennium, folks, I, I just, it's just astounding. By the end of the millennium, the vast majority of men, as Isaiah says, you just show the wicked favor and he will not honor the Lord. He has to make a choice in his heart. You know what it'll be like? It's like it was when Jesus was here. I can already imagine this. He had 12 apostles, 12 men that he taught day after day, month after month, year after year. Walked with him, did miracles. And one of them never believed him. Who was that? 
Judas. He saw all the miracles Jesus did. He performed them. He preached the same messages. At the end of three and a half years, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. One. And what did they all say? It's about time, sir, you woke up to the reality that Judas is fake. No, no. Each of them said what? Lord, is it I? They had no clue that in their midst was a hypocrite who pretended. Now, that's the terrifying thing about being a church member. See, you can look like, act like, talk like a Christian and not be one. God says, be careful now. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Do you love? Do you really know me? Do you really love me? And by the end of that kingdom age, dear friends, the Bible says that billions of people will turn to Satan. You can almost hear them praying a prayer like this. Our Father who art in hell, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom return, thy will be done again on earth as it is in hell. And Jesus will allow them to have him back. And Revelation chapter 20 says he'll be released and come back and deceive all the nations like the sand of the sea for multitude. And billions will follow him and try to wipe out God's people in Jerusalem, in the holy city. And that, dear friends, is the end of the world. That's it. Then fire will come from heaven and destroy this planet. And the heavens and earth will flee away from him who sits upon the throne. No place found for them. The whole system we know of planet Earth will be contaminated, poisoned, perverted, distorted, and God will wipe it out. And then he'll do what? Create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dominate God's people forever. I say, Lord, this is amazing. You want people to, lo- to love you, to choose you. We're not just robots. You want us to choose you. We have your image and likeness. Animals don't. People do. They have to love Jesus, love the Lord, love God. And I say, Lord, I'm amazed. Help me to understand the purpose of every dispensation. Adam and Eve, do you love me? Make a choice. Everybody here, do you love me? Noah said, yes, Lord, I love you. I'll make a choice. He survived. In this age of Israel and the church, God says to every Jew, every Christian, do you love me? Then you're mine forever. Even in the kingdom age, everything's perfect. Do you love me? Make a choice. Make a choice. The only time in all the systems of the universe where there'll be no choice is right here. It's all set. You have made your choice. You're confirmed in holiness in heaven or in hell forever. I say, Lord, I'm just amazed at your plan, your program, your love, your grace, your mercy to reach out, reach out, reach out to people, people. And I end with a statement that perhaps you've heard before. Are you ready for this? For God so loved the world... He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Father in heaven, I thank you tonight for the amazing things you've told us. Some things hard to be understood, yes, 
but by your precious book, the Bible, written by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. You've illuminated our pathway and showed us where we are, what we can be, by your grace and mercy, by simple childlike faith. Say, Lord, I don't understand all this, but I believe you. Talk to me, show me, help me to reflect your light into someone's darkness till Jesus comes. For we pray this prayer in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. That prayer concludes our first full message in this series, Basic Biblical Distinctions. The sermon has been the five worlds of history, science, and prophecy. Please tell a friend that they can always listen to it again at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And we'd love to have you follow us at facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries, where there's always lots of news and encouragement for you. Today's message reminds us of the truth found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Next week, Dr. Whitcomb will share a more personal and practical side to this series when he begins to speak about the conversion of an evolutionist. We trust you'll be back with us then. And we want to thank Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana, for allowing us to bring these messages to you here on Encounter God's Truth. Now, for Dr. John Whitcomb and everyone behind the scenes at Whitcomb Ministries, I'm Wayne Shepherd, saying thanks for listening to today's program. May God bless and keep you this week until we return together for more of Encounter God's Truth.